0: Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we break down sexual assault within the AFL, past cases, present issues and future solutions. Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa. And I'm Vanessa DiGrazia. And welcome back to yet another episode of Australia Explained in another wet, rainy, windy day in Melbourne.
1: Yes, we are on very, very cold Wurundjeri <laughs> land, which maybe in November shouldn't usually be this cold, but it is freezing. Check out our weather patterns episode if you want to hear a bit more <laughs> about wow, that. That was a while ago. <laughs> So today's
0: episode is inspired, I wouldn't say inspired by, but triggered by the recent arrest of AFL Collingwood player Jordan Dugowie in New York, initially charged with forcible touching of a 35-year-old woman and also the assault of a 37-year-old man. Now, since the case came to light, the forcible touching charges have been dropped, but it's not the first time we've seen Jordan's name appear next to instances of sexual assault against women.
1: Yeah, earlier this year in August, DeGoey was set to face court for indecent assault charges that were back in 2015. Um, once again, the charges were dropped and settled, but it left us questioning why Jordan's name continues to be associated with sexual assault cases, especially given he is a pretty big Collingwood figure.
0: Yeah, and perhaps the greatest disappointment though was that Dugowie was only stood down by the Collingwood Football Club last month when the New York case um was revealed. But Back in 2020 and earlier this year when Dugowie was being investigated for a previous case, um, he was remained relatively untouched by the club and instead chose to take a leave of absence for a few games.
1: Yeah, even so, when he made his return a few weeks later after those August charges were dropped, football commentator Bruce Maccavini and many fans alike were quick to forget the scandal and he actually called it a hiccup, which yeah. is an interesting phrase. Um to explain assault charges, um, but can't underestimate the impact of those comments because they belittle the importance of the issue and they offer excuses for the behaviour regardless of whether Dagoe is innocent or not. It's setting a precedent and a standard. Yeah, and so we're keen to investigate the
0: wider culture of masculinity within sport, how certain ideas about women are perpetuated and why we're quick to forgive alleged assaulters.
1: And given that AFL is such a dominant part of Australian culture, like it's really worth worthwhile to look at how male and female gender roles, like, manifested into this.
0: Okay, so we know that Dagoe is only one example of an AFL sports star being caught up in a sexual assault case. Who else
1: has been involved with these issues? Unfortunately, a lot of people, yeah. but I think today we'll just discuss maybe the more famous or more prominent um, serious cases, because um, there are some common examples that many listeners may have heard of, maybe forgotten about, and it's important to bring them up when we're looking at this context. So we'll start with Wayne Carey. Kerry was the very famous star player of North Melbourne and he led the team to a premiership in 96. But attached to Kerry's name is a string of offences that not only show his history with violent behaviour towards women, but he had a really violent nature as a whole.
0: Yes. And in 1997, he pleaded guilty to indecent assault after grabbing a woman's breast on a Melbourne street, allegedly asking her, why don't you go and get a bigger set of tits? Wow, the arrogance. Yeah. And he pleaded guilty to that as well. Following the end of his playing career in 2007, Miami police were then called out to a hotel after Carey allegedly smashed a wine glass into the face of his then-girlfriend Kate Nielsen. When police went to the couple's hotel room, Carey absolutely lashed out and kicked a female officer in the mouth and he was charged with the assault of a law enforcement officer.
1: Which is just horrific. Mm. Um, a year later in 2008, police were called to his Melbourne home with reports of a domestic di- dispute. And when they arrived, Kerry assaulted police officers yet again and was fined for assault and resisting police. And you might ask about the relevance of such claims, particularly given that Kerry's playing career was over. But we can't forget that Kerry is a primetime football commentator, a host for Channel 7, a legend of the game. Just because he's not kicking the footy anymore doesn't mean he's not a big part of the AFL culture. Yeah, exactly. Moving on, probably the most well-known case
0: within the AFL and one that sparked quite a bit of organisational change within the AFL as a whole um, was that of St Kilda player Stephen, Stephen Milne in 2004. Milne was charged with three counts of rape over an alleged incident with a 19-year-old woman that occurred at another one of his St Kilda teammates' house, Lee Montagna. The case spanned over 10 years as charges were initially dropped but then they were reinstated and the case was actually only settled in 2014 when Milne pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of indecent assault. So the rape charges were dropped.
1: Yeah, I actually remember when this case was being finalised and the kind of rhetoric that was going around, like, oh, you know, she was a girl. She knew what she was doing there. There are a bunch of footy players. And also, oh,
0: look at the impact it's had on Milne's life. Mm-hmm. It's ruined his reputation. He can't get a job. So there was a little bit of a protection surrounding his name and I guess his influence. Yeah, for sure.
1: And we'll leave a link where you can read up on the finer details of the case in our show notes. But it's interesting to note that many St Kilda players that you probably know, such as Nick Rewelt or Lenny Hayes, they... they... They attended Milne's court hearing in an act of support and they actually offered him character references. So he was very much endorsed by St Kilda Football Club.
0: Yeah, the club as a whole really supported him and stood behind him. Following the case of Milne, AFL CEO at the time, Andrew Dimitru, began to implement a series of changes within the organisation, such as drafting the AFL's first respect and responsibility policy that addressed gender equality and violence towards women. Uh, Dimitri also established education programs at each of the 18 clubs within the AFL about gendered violence and respectful relationships. So essentially this Milne case was a massive turning point for the AFL because they began to consider whether this was just a few odd rotten apples within the bunch or whether this was a wider cultural issue within the sport.
1: And anyone that's had any contact with the sport would probably argue that it's definitely the latter. Mm. Um, back to the story, whilst Montagna, who owned the house that the rape occurred in, wasn't charged, um, he now appears on Fox footy as a commentator and an analyst. Um, Milne was actually able to play football in the period between charges and when the court proceedings resumed in 2013 before he retired. So although it did have an effect on Milne, of course, in the end, um, he was charged and Prosecuted, But for Montagna, he pretty much lived his life as normal and neither of them really received like severe consequences.
0: And I think that goes to show that there is a bit of a discussion here about how we can approach other men who are acting inappropriately. Do we bystand and do we let such actions occur or when are we held accountable for what our teammates are doing? So that's a, a, a bigger discussion that's also being had within the AFL.
1: So, leading on that point, why are these sports stars quick to be forgiven and what affects our public opinion of them? Yes, we've seen
0: how people like Wayne Carey, even Montagna, even Nick Rewalt, who is in the public sphere as well, they've all, you know, been somewhat involved in these cases, whether that's just as a reference or whether it was actually them who were being charged. Um, they sort of come back into the light and we, we seem to forget some of the things that happened. And whilst I was researching for this episode, I came across a really great term that I think reflected the discourse. Um, and that was cultural immunity and offering these redemption narratives. So cultural immunity is the idea that whether we like to admit it or not, you know, I know I can definitely relate to this because I'm a Collingwood supporter myself. And so, you know, I see Jordan DeGalwe kicking all the goals and I'm like, woo, you know, go Collingwood. But then I also know what he's done. Um, cultural immunity refers to this idea that these men, whether or not we want to admit it or we'd like to admit it, they offer us some form of entertainment or value or something that we can enjoy. And so when we hear about these cases, it's really difficult for us as supporters and viewers to negotiate between sacrificing those things that these men provide for us, you know, entertainment, talent, music, um our sport team winning anything like that we have to make a decision between sacrificing those things in order to uphold our morals and values or continuing to enjoy the things that these men provide so where does where do we draw the line is essentially the questioning the question we have to ask ourselves
1: and while this concept often is gendered, I just wanted to point out that this cultural immunity, it can technically be applied to women too, because when you were speaking, I was thinking of Cardi B. Yeah. And I remember when she publicly admitted that she had like drugged men and robbed them. Mm-hmm. And she did, she received a little bit of backlash, but she was quick back on her feet for the same reason. Um, so we'll get into a bit more how, um, the relationship between men and women kind of prop up this situation. But in terms of cultural immunity, it's a big thing that can be applied to celebrities. Oh, and so can sexual assault. It, mm-hmm. It's not just a
0: male issue, um, but it, it is proportionately directed yeah, towards of women. Of course, yeah. Um, so that's where we're coming with this episode.
1: Yeah, and with this idea of cultural immunity, we're actually more likely to adopt an apologist approach to these celebrities or people that give us entertainment that than removing their positions of privilege because we want to retain what they give us. Um, in terms of the AFL, it doesn't really help when, as an organisation, they fail to show strong leadership in regards to the issue and they don't really make any definitive statements. So Jessica O'Halloran from The Australian, the newspaper, um, calls this a toxic silence and sometimes inaction, like the AFL has shown, is actually an action in itself.
0: Yeah, and like there's a famous quote, indecision is a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so the AFL not coming out and publicly speaking about this, but rather leaving it to the clubs to deal with. It endorses it. It endorses yeah. it, essentially. But it's not specific to the AFL. Of, obviously, within an Australian context, it's probably one of the biggest examples. But we've seen this issue before of cultural immunity and allowing these men an opportunity to redeem themselves. You know, we've seen the likes of Chris Brown and what he did to Rihanna, but he's still producing music. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still touring, although in Australia he was banned
1: mm-hmm. from touring. Which is interesting they banned Chris Brown. But... Yeah, but even so there was a massive conversation mm-hmm. about it, whether it was warranted or fair. Yeah, and bringing it back to the Australian example, I'm also thinking of Sticky Fingers who received a lot of backlash but are still back on their feet and releasing music. Um, we did an episode about Britney Higgins and the um, time, It was it earlier this year, that there was lots of sexual yeah. assault allegations going through Parliament and you've got politicians like Christian Porter and Alan Tudge and many other politicians that are pleading for their reputation to be saved due to rape charges and essentially their reputations have been saved. They're still working. They're still on you know, taxpayer salaries and we've forgiven them. So we have to question why. Or why do we forget about it Mm -hmm. so easily? Mm -hmm. Sometimes
0: you don't forgive, but it does escape our mind. Mm -hmm. All right, so of course with an issue like this we have to consider where do these ideas about women and the way we treat women where are they formed (laughs)
1: let's get philosophical (laughs) now really the unfortunate answer is they're formed through everything um the social environment that we live in today is a bit of a gift of history and culture i say gift in quotations there um like this history and culture that's prioritised male perspectives for a really long time. And of course, there are many examples of cultures worldwide that have traditionally valued women in their opinions. But unfortunately, these are not the cultures that have shaped Western and Australian culture that we have today. And we have to remember that we are not very far
0: off from women being seen as property. We were only allowed to vote just over 100 years ago. And less than a third of our government are women. So this all comes down to a question of value. Although so much has changed, and we are grateful for some of the strides that we have made, women are still simply not as valued as much as men. And that's why Jordan DeGoy's career is more important than the lives of multiple women that he's allegedly assaulted. Nor um, that's why Wayne Carey's legendary football superstar status is more important than Kate Nielsen's face. I've never seen her face. I've mm-hmm. never um, seen her publicly speak out.
1: Mm-hmm. I and mean, essentially we are trying to protect the value that these men provide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're definitely seen as more valuable than the women that they um, assault or hurt. And how we've learnt this idea is like through our parents, our families, our friends, school, TV, every single cultural force that you could possibly brainstorm. Um, if it doesn't directly oppose sexism, it's likely going to enforce it without even realising. And I was watching a kids movie the other day, I was watching the Angry Birds movie, and I all of the characters were male, except for um, a couple of girls that were all dressed in pink and were mothers or taking care of children. And that might sound like a silly comparison to sexual assault, but it's very much different strengths of the same idea. Mm. Like men are the main show women are on the edge. They're less valuable. They're there simply to play a role of a mother or a wife or a girlfriend or emotional support. And outside of that role, they don't really have a lot of value, which is why when you see cases like this blown up in the media, you know, we know um, Jordan Degoe, like we know his value. We know who he is, but this woman, she's just a girl. Yeah. We don't know anything. We don't have any value to her because it hasn't been um, shown to us. Yeah.
0: And I was reading an article the other day, which seems like common knowledge to us now, but gender stereotypes and gender norms and roles are reinforced by things that we see in our childhood. It is something we take from us as we're growing and developing, and that's what forms our brain patterns and our ideas and attitudes. So seeing these men being heralded in the spotlight, so begins to establish that thought that, okay, I can do bad things, but I'm going to be forgiven and I'm mm-hmm. still going to be successful. It's unconscious. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, I uh, feel like we could go on a really long rant about this. <laughs> but maybe one day if we have a different kind of podcast where we just sit around and chat, we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> but essentially, if we can justify
0: any devaluing of women, it's a slippery slope to justifying it at any level. Um, there is also a bit of a discussion about boys' education or boys' education particularly, and promoting a culture of entitlement but also protection. And this blew up all over Instagram. I know a lot of our immediate friends reposted it and shared it. But as the Jordan Degowie case came to light, a photographer, an Australian photographer um, named James Robinson, took to protest against his former school, um, St. Kevin's College in Melbourne, where Degowie also attended school, and he was simply fed up with the fact that this behaviour was reoccurring. Um, so he burnt, Robinson burnt his blazer on the school campus, claiming that the college was a breeding ground for misogyny, dis- dis- disrespectful relationships and also a culture of cover-ups by the school administration to protect its name.
1: Hmm. Yeah, this boys that will be boys mentality that offers an innocent apology for very non-innocent behaviour without being held accountable. It's just not okay. And it's not just St. Kevin's, um, but there's reports of similar environments within many boys schools in the country. And that extends to footy culture that, again, is like this microism of just boys and male culture and this toxic masculinity squished into one little place.
0: Okay, so we've discussed the past and the present, but what is the AFL currently doing and will continue to do to tackle this issue?
1: Yeah, as we said, many place blame on the AFL as an organisation for not doing enough and perpetuating the idea that these players can and should be protected, you know, that there are no consequences for their behaviours and someone always seems to be there to pick up all the little tiny pieces. Mm. Um, So the AFL currently has no formal policy that deals with sexual assault claims and calls have been made to implement a similar system to that of the NRL, which maybe you can explain for us.
0: Yes, and... uh, by no means, and I'm tr- am I trying to say that the NRL is like the golden standard? <laughs> Let's be clear. Yes, because the NRL or our National Rugby League, for those who are unfamiliar, the NRL is a whole other can of worms yeah. regarding sexual assault against women, and the sport has faced just as many cases, or probably more, um, lawsuits and and court hearings as the AFL in regards to the issue. But the one thing that the NRL does have is a no-fault stand-down rule, which states that any player um, is automatically stood down if they are charged with offences carrying jail sentences of more than 11 years. So, whilst it's not specific to sexual assault charges, it is a strong stance against morally poor behaviour as a whole.
1: Yeah, and of course, the no-fault stand-down policy, it's not flawless. Um, Some critics have highlighted that the policy was purely introduced to protect the NRL's corporate interests and make sure they don't lose any financial deals because essentially by cutting ties with alleged players who harm the league's reputation, the NRL is able to remain appealing to sponsors, investors, etc. But even though that might be the reason, we can't stop recognising the possible benefits. Yeah, and
0: even sports columnists columnists have claimed the rule is unfair, especially to players who may eventually turn out to be innocent. Um, Note that it is called no fault. Mm-hmm. So by standing down these players, the NRL is not claiming that they're guilty. It's just saying we just need to stand you down whilst yeah, these proceedings are happening. Even so, some people complain that um, the players who turn out to be innocent have missed a significant amount of time, training, due to all the court proceedings, and often their bodies are not ideal to resume play. So there is um, some concerns about whether the rule is too harsh and may limit their careers in future.
1: I mean, but if you think in general, if someone needs to go to court proceedings, like a normal member of society, they have to miss work and their life is disrupted. It's not too radical to say, even if they are innocent, it's unfortunate, but that's something that normal people deal with all the time. Yeah, and it's trying to normalise the fact
0: that AFL and sports stars are still normal people. We often put them on a pedestal for their national and
1: cultural value, but we still need to treat them according to the law. Yeah, exactly. And it all leads back to the same questions, you know, like, what things should we be protecting is the organization willing to take a moral standpoint at the expense of a player's career and maybe their corporate money as well mm-hmm. if that player gets them a lots of lots of deals and the answer to that's really subjective, but if you're wanting to set a good example about the type of conduct that is acceptable, then the no-fault stand-down policy clearly outlines the consequences of not displaying appropriate behaviours. Like, yes, your job will be in jeopardy. Yes, you could face lengthy court timelines. All these things need to be highlighted and clear and show the process to players That are facing the full extent of the law.
0: Yeah, and currently the AFL adopts a case-to-case process like we've seen with Dugowie. You know, last year and earlier this year he wasn't stood down, but now recently in October he was stood down. Um, And it is often left to the individual club to stand down a player. So this is something that Collingwood had to do make the decision about. But implementing a sport-wide stand-down policy would be the AFL's way of intervening with the issue and streamlining the treatment of all alleged sexual assault cases. And when you apply the policy to other professions, it kind of makes sense because I don't think any parent would want their child to be taught by someone who's currently facing sexual assault charges. And If we're considering the pivotal role that TV and culture and sport play in forming gender stereotypes, then the policy should apply to kids' role models and celebrities too.
1: It's kind of ridiculous to think that a case-to-case process that's left up to the clubs would be the most effective and the most just. Because if you think of a player um, like Dugowie, who has a lot of cultural capital within the Collingwood Football Club, of course, the Collingwood Football Club is better off to, you know, censor it, keep it quiet, keep him making their money, not make it a big deal. I mean, the case to case basis is just always going to have that risk of being unjust. And once again, it shows that the
0: afl's indecision
1: unless they can
0: crack down and have a formal policy that no player is excused from then they'll just continue to make excuses yeah exactly um you know depending on how much value they bring to the sport undeniably to is a is an asset to the team. He's a great player. But there's always been this discussion about him, about having high potential but low outcomes because mm-hmm. he always ends up in these situations.
1: Yeah, and remember similar narratives um, like with Ben Cousins and like this, yeah. this narrative of the troubled footy player who's a menace to society essentially. But we love him. But they can kick him. a ball, so was, we love them. Yeah, I was having a conversation with this about a friend
0: actually and, look, we're all guilty of this. We fall into these narratives as well because they impact us as well. I'm a mad football fan. I love football and the other day I was talking about you know the 2005 to 6 West Coast team and how good they were and you know the cousins um Kerr and mm. Judd trio mm. So we are guilty of of falling into this narrative,
1: but that's how it's being portrayed to us. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to finish off by saying that the AFL does now have this respect and responsibility policy that aims to promote gender equality. But in a time like this, actions definitely speak louder than words. Um, Symbolic policy doesn't mean that it's actually being implemented. And that's what we're seeing. Okay, time for our recommendations. Tan, hit me.
0: I am recommending the ABC Four Corners report about St. Kevin's College where Dugowie did attend school. It's called Boys Club and it looks at the culture within the school, um, instances of misogyny and cases of sexual assault against women, but also some of the students, but also how there's a culture of cover-ups within mm-hmm. the school and, um, the administration taking steps to protect students and also teachers.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is important, not just in the AFL context, but if you look at the alumni of schools like St. Kevin's or other elite private boys schools, you'll find that many of our politicians, CEOs of the top corporations in this country are from these schools. So like the, the, the kids from these schools are directly being funneled into positions of power. So so it's pretty important to understand how they're being run. AKA ScoMo. AKA ScoMo, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, my recommendation is actually a reading list that I have made and it's basically just some key modern feminist texts, not old boring ones, I promise. <laughs> um, but if you listen to this episode and thought, oh, I want to know a little bit more about like gender roles and toxic masculinity and et cetera, et cetera, um, it's going to have maybe five or six books in it, Um in the list. So yeah, I recommend you check that out. And it's not just for those who are female identifying, this also
0: is a responsibility amongst men and those who are male identifying to have these conversations with others and making sure you are pushing the Movement as well. Exactly. We'll leave a link in the show notes for all those resources. But that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this. This is a big issue. So if you'd want to join in on the discussion, you can always hit us up. We're keen to hear your thoughts.
1: Yes, and in the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet, and simple Aussie content on Instagram and TikTok at Australia Explain Pod. We've just restarted our TikTok, <laughs> so if you actually have something to say on the episode, feel free to do at us. That is a great way to give your opinions and your feedback. Um, all the info we discussed today is in the show notes for you to check out. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe, review all, of the, all things. of the things, and we will see you in two weeks' time. Bye. Bye.